0: It's good to see all of you. Thanks for making it for Sunday School. Um, We're going to continue talking about virtue. Um, We're going to look today specifically at courage. Uh, If you want to go and grab an outline, there's outlines over on the table next to the door, uh, as well as some cookies um, that have been provided by the Stadamas, by Dave and Barb. So uh, go grab a cookie, grab an outline, um, and we can get started in just a sec. So I included on the outline as well some, uh, uh, it'll, it'll follow roughly the flow of the lesson, um, as well as a few take-home questions. There will be a test on those, so please bring that in next week. I will be grading it. Um, now those are just some questions that you can think about if you wanna think about deeper. If there's time today, uh, we can start thinking about those here. Um, otherwise, uh, those can be a guide for you to continue thinking about it. I also forgot to include What would be next week's virtue? So if you want to also start thinking about patience um, or perseverance for next week, uh, you can do that as well. Uh, But before we get started, why don't we go to the Lord uh, and ask for his help uh, as we come to learn from his word. Let's pray. Almighty Father, uh, as we come before you, we thank you that we have boldness, that we can come to your throne, uh, not because of our worthiness, but because of Christ's. May you work in our hearts, Lord. May you open our hearts and open our ears to hear your word, to obey, to trust you, um, and to grow in courage. May you continue to remind us of who we are and of why we do this. And may uh, our words today, our thoughts, and our minds be glorifying to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a little uh, review before we jump further in. Um, Last week, we started talking about virtue, and we asked the question, what is virtue? Uh, What does it mean to be a virtuous person? Uh, Some of the things we learned were that virtue is more of a habit or a disposition instead of uh, certain actions, right? The imagery from Lewis of the tennis player, you can have a bad tennis player who sometimes hits a good shot, uh, but then you have a good tennis player, they regularly hit good shots because they've trained themselves, they practiced, uh, they put intentional work into it so that every time they make a shot, most of the time it's going in. Uh, virtue is not unlike that, where virtue is something that we have to learn, we have to grow, we have to practice, uh, so that it becomes more and more who we are. Because we're not naturally virtuous, sin corrupts us. Sin makes our natural inclinations to be unvirtuous or vice-like. Um, so we need to continually submit ourselves to the Lord. Uh, what we saw was that the Lord calls us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. And I said that wrong. Might, what did I say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. There it is, um, Deuteronomy 6.4. And then that corresponds right to our minds, to our hearts, and to our life, to all of our resources and strength. Um, and these correspond to the three most important virtues Right, That above all else, we as Christians are called to exhibit. Uh, I think you could probably say that without even one of these three virtues, we can hardly be called Christians. Faith, hope, and love. If even one of those is lacking, we are missing an essential part of being a Christian. Faith, hope, and love. So we're going to look at virtue uh, through the lens of each of those three. So we're going to start uh, with faith or with the mind. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. And when we, talk, when we talk about faith, when we talk about loving the Lord with our mind, uh, we can distinguish between faith in the general sense and faith in the Christian sense. So, the specific way that we as Christians talk about faith. So, there's a difference right, between how people in the world might talk about faith and how we talk about faith. What do you think it is? What's the difference between faith in the general sense? And faith in the specifically Christian sense. Any thoughts? Nehemiah? I think in the general sense, there's this blind aspect to it. But when Christians talk about it, it's more like an allegiance. Can you say the first part again? It's a blind aspect. A blind aspect. Okay, yeah, totally. Uh, faith is blind in a sense where you are taking a leap of faith. But in the Christian sense, there's an allegiance. Faith is more of a loyalty. That's a great point. And it it's objective. Okay, faith is objective. What do you mean? Well,
1: who is our faith in? What is our
0: faith in? Mm-hmm. For Christians, our faith is in God and his word and his promises. Yeah. Maybe you hear the language of just believe in yourself, right? If you just believe in yourself, that's, that's more of a subjective faith where you are the subject. Um, but faith is, in the Christian sense, right, is more objective. There's an object that we put our faith in. Uh, But even more so, right, think about faith in the general sense where a a non-believer might believe in something, even hold loyalty or allegiance to something, um, but it's typically thought of in the sense of uh, believing something to be true despite a lack of evidence, that you have to have faith that something is true even though maybe you're not fully sure about it. So it's almost like faith and, and rationality are on parallel paths, but they're different. Because you can believe something to be true because of evidence, or you can believe it because you just want it to be true. Whereas in the Christian sense, right, we, we don't separate them. To believe in Jesus is to know that he is raised from the dead, that the grave is empty, that that's evidence, and that we have witnesses who take the, the stand in the courtroom testifying to the fact that Jesus was raised, that he was the son of God. All the things that we believe to be true, we have evidence for. So it's not a blind faith. It's not something that we are believing to be true despite uh, a lack of evidence. In the Christian sense, faith is truly uh, receiving and resting in Christ and in Christ alone. Because you might find uh, out in the world that faith can... Uh, Because it's separated, right? You can have uh, a religious adherence to something based on rationality, right? How many times have you heard in the last year or two trust the science, believe in the science? Yeah, Michelle. Um, Another difference that comes to mind is that worldly faith starts with yourself. Definitely, yeah. Who initiates faith? for the Christian, not us. We don't initiate it, God does. Whereas in the worldly sense, it is something that you initiate, that you decide for yourself. Uh, so in the Christian sense, right, we, we have to say that it includes evidence, uh, that it is not just a blind faith, that it's not emotions, right, but there's something about how we think uh, that is directed towards faith. So faith and your mind are not separate. That's the point that I'm trying to make. That when we it says love the Lord with all of your mind, what God means is you need to love the Lord with your faith. You need to believe in Him. You need to understand. Right? Is it is it enough to say, Well, yeah, I believe in God? And then someone asks you, Well, who is God? And you have no way to answer? Right? There's a, a real sense where we need to understand who God is. Um, the Or Luther would put it like this You have to have three things in your faith for it to be true faith. You have to have knowledge, you have to have assent, you have to say yes, uh, and you have to trust. That's important because demons can have knowledge, they can even assent to that knowledge, but they don't trust. They don't trust in God, they don't trust in Jesus. But without one of those three, right, faith is lacking. And so to love the Lord with all of our mind, we have to have all of those three. We have to understand, we have to say yes, and we have to trust. We have to rest on Christ uh, alone. So can you think of any scripture passages that talk about loving the Lord your God with all of your mind? What scripture can you, comes to your mind when you hear that? Proverbs three, which is (laughs) is it five three or is it three five? five. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart; do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Is that the verse you were thinking of? It's a good verse. Write them on the top of your apartment. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what other passages can you think of that talk about loving the Lord your God with all of your mind? That's
1: 22 and Mark 12.
0: Okay. Which are what? -hmm. I like Mark better.
1: Yeah. The guy comes through and he says, first of all, commandments is, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the first commandment. The second is love.
0: Yeah, love your neighbor. Yeah, definitely. We are called to love the Lord. What other passages can you think of? Maybe something in Romans. If Charlie were here, he would have jumped on it because he was the one who told me about the passage. Romans 12, uh, 12 12-2. Renew your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Faith in the renewal of our minds, right? Understanding what the will of God is. Uh, In other words, What is good? What is acceptable? What is perfect? What are the things uh, in our lives that are good and acceptable and perfect that the Lord wants from us? That involves thinking about it, right, and transforming and, and conforming our thoughts, right? Or what about the passage where it says, uh, "Set your mind on things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of the Father, not on worldly things, but on things that are above." Or Romans eight. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So there's a sense where our faith has to be actively, intentionally conformed to Christ. Right, we, we think that our thoughts are our own, that you know, it's our actions that God cares about. Uh, but the Lord actually cares about what we think about. What do we set our minds on? What are the thoughts we have during the day? Are we thinking about the Lord? Are we thinking about how to please him, how to serve him? Uh, are we, when we have a, a bad thought, a sinful thought, are we conforming that thought? Are we repenting of it, confessing it, and conforming it to Christ? This is something that is hard, It takes practice and work, uh, because we can tend to be thoughtless. We can tend to be driven not by our intentional thoughts, but by our impulses uh, without any self-control. But the Lord shows us that to love him with our minds means we have to be intentional with our thoughts. Uh, But there's another passage that flows really great into the first virtue that we're going to talk about. Uh, This is Joshua 1, verses 6 through 9. The, The whole first chapter is awesome, but just verses 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, It's a wonderful passage. Do you, do you see how through this the Lord is saying to Joshua, here's how to love me with your mind? And it starts with be strong and courageous. So when we think about courage as a virtue, what can we learn from this passage about courage? What does this passage tell us that courage is? What do you think? Yeah, gee. Okay, yeah. God keeping his promises to his yeah. Trust yeah. Trusting that the Lord will keep his promises. Resting in that. Knowing that the accomplishment will come because God's behind it. That's certainly an aspect of courage. What else can we learn? What else can we learn about courage from this passage? It's, it's, a, it's a conscious decision, it's an effort that we need to make. Okay. Yeah, it needs to be something we work at. It's a con- conscious decision. Do you stumble into being courageous? Or is it something that you pursue? What else? What else strikes you about this passage? definitely yeah meditating on God's word has to be a central element of being courageous it seems like you can't separate the two and say well I'm going to be courageous and not read my Bible there's something missing yeah, that's a great point. Marge, what were you going to say? Ah, oh, he stole it. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing the Lord, you, uh, yeah, in the back. Yeah, definitely. Do you know? So it's a command. Three times, the Lord says, be courageous. Be very courageous. Be courageous. Three times in three verses means this is important. You got to listen and you got to obey. This is a commandment. Mhm. Yeah, there's a work that you are participating in, but it's a promise. Totally. Yeah, the Lord is promising something. Jamie. But just not just the obedience to being courageous,
1: but also to keeping God's law, which obviously we can't keep, you know, a little messed up. But that is what he's telling him to do there is to be
0: to keep all this law that I've commanded you, to do these things and that process being courageous. Definitely. So if we have courage, you know, as the main point, then maybe a sub-point would be you've got to meditate on God's law. You've got to obey God's law, right? You have to trust in the promises. These are, are things that are a part of being courageous. You can't be courageous without these things, which means if you want to be courageous and you don't obey God's law and you just do what you want, something essential is missing. Yeah, Matthew. yeah, you cannot have courage if you are against God. Or maybe you could also say it like, you can't be courageous if God is against you. You can if God is for you. God's involved. And without God, there is no courage. Uh, going back to the commandment part, uh, a couple of things that we can draw out of that further are that it's not optional, Right? This is, this is something that is part of the Christian walk. That if you want to be a Christian and not be courageous, something is, there's a link broken between your faith and loving the Lord that is not, not there. That this should flow out of your faith. Uh, it also involves uh, it being intentional and not accidental, like Dave said. Um, but it also reveals God's heart, like the rest of the commandments, God desires his people to be courageous people. And this reveals the Lord and, and his character, that he is a God of, not of fear, but of courage. And Speaking of fear, right, look at the end, uh, verse 9. He reiterates for the third time, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go which means that fear and dismay are, are not compatible with courage, that this is a, a, an opposite, a polar opposite. We're not going to wonder if it's a vice just yet, but we're going to say at least that if you're fearful, that means that courage is lacking. And If you're courageous, that means there's no room for fear. That the Lord wants us to not be fearful people, but to be courageous people, uh, which sparks a question for me at least, Um, we, we talk about courage, but there's another word that often pops up, uh, in discussions and in life, bravery. Uh, is there a difference between courage and bravery? What do you think? You You need courage to be brave. All right. Okay, yeah, perhaps there's a, a sense where bravery is more self-focused and courage is more of uh, a habit or disposition, like we'd said virtues are, something that you practice and build. Um, I I could not find, maybe you can, if you go and look for it, I could not find a command in scripture to be brave. Um, I did see it applied to people in scripture, often, uh, in positive light, right? There's uh, David's mighty men were said to be brave men uh, the warriors were often called very brave people. Um, I, I couldn't find a command for it, but it definitely was looked in a positive light. But perhaps there's a sense where when the Lord is commanding us to be courageous, there's something different about courage um, than just being brave. And being brave is is maybe an thing. Admir- yeah, admirable thing. It's admirable thing. It's a good thing, but... It's not the, the virtue that we are called to exhibit as Christians. G. Well,
1: a non-believer could do a brave act in a moment,
0: but the courageous person is trusting in God to protect him. Absolutely. Right? We talked about if God is missing, can there be courage? Probably not, which means that a non-believer can be brave. They can do something that's risky, dangerous, uh, even for the betterment of somebody else. Um, but is that really courage? John? Yeah, I think
1: when uh, scripture talks about um, dying for uh, perhaps a good man, it might be something that you would avoid. We're dying for the unrighteous, Christ courage.
0: That's character. Hmm. Yeah. Dying for uh, a good man, maybe that's a brave thing, but for someone who's undeserving? for someone who's a broken sinner that is maybe something courageous because it requires a different kind of of love or a brave thing um is maybe more of a i don't know if it's self-focused or if it's just more about um the dignity of the person i'm not quite sure where the line is um Possibly, Um, I I do find people being described as brave and not just doing brave things, but they're described as brave people. Um, So I think it might be a a personality thing, whereas courage is more of an attribute of, of faith, where it's something that is intentionally directed towards the Lord, where you can do a brave act for the Lord, right, and you can do a brave act for yourself, for selfish reasons, I don't think you can do a courageous act for selfish reasons, or it strikes me as that would kind of go against the idea of courage itself. Um, I don't know if the
1: word fear has anything to do with that, because he says, "Be strong." If this is in verse nine. I have commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. To death, sure, but still do it. Mm-hmm. This may be that
0: I'm making you not afraid to do it. Yeah. That, that's the work of God. So unbeliever can
1: be brave in terms of still having to do it.
0: Yeah, that I think that's that's possible too. I actually I googled it. <laughs> You know, in my very intense research, I, I googled it, and what I found on the internet was the the reverse was that bravery is you know kind of uh, doing something risky without thought for yourself or for the danger. Whereas courage is you're afraid but you do it anyways. And I thought that seems a little backwards to me, where maybe bravery is doing something that you're afraid of doing, but courage. I mean, at least from Joshua, you have to say that something about courage means there's no fear. That fear has to be separated out. That there's not room for fear because of the courage, or at least the Lord is commanding His people: here's how you're supposed to be—courageous and not afraid.
1: But would that seem more like a like an everyday, continual thing of living a courageous life in the sense that you're living according to God's word Mm -hmm. day in, day out, moment by moment? Whereas bravery, like you said, maybe just be a one act. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Maybe there's a sense where bravery is, is an action that we do. We do a brave thing. But courage is a day in and day out, uh, continual submitting ourselves, our thoughts, our minds, uh, to love the Lord and to do so courageously. There's another thing we can draw out of this passage that tells us about courage. It's not self-confidence. It's not self-confidence. Because what's the basis? Verse 9 For the Lord your God is with you. It it is not something that we say, well, in order to be courageous, I need to be confident. It's the other way around. If we are focusing on the Lord, looking to Him, understanding, assenting, and believing, and trusting that Christ is with us, that is what gives us courage. Not believing in yourself. Not having confidence that you have the ability, you have the power, and you just need to, Man, I mean, if you just believed in yourself, you could do everything that you wanted. Uh, what's that passage that gets twisted out of context all the time? Like, um, I shouldn't have brought it up, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't remember. But there's a passage that's twisted out of context where it says, essentially, like, if you just believe in the Lord, you can do whatever you want. You can accomplish everything that you set your mind to uh, because the Lord is with you. The problem is, that's not what God says. God says, I'm going to accomplish my will, and you need to be courageous. That is not you setting your mind to something and doing it. That is God setting his mind to something and doing it, and you banishing your fear and trusting him and following him and obeying him and meditating on what his will even is. Right? Transforming your mind, renewing your thoughts so that you might understand what the will of God is, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. Not, what's my will? And if I just have enough courage and I can do it. But that's not what Joshua says, that's not what the Lord says. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's close. I would say, personally, I would say it an unbeliever can't be courageous because their source is the wrong source. That because the source is not God, it's, it's themselves, what actually comes to the surface is not actually courage. It might look like courage. It might look like, okay, that's a good thing, right? There's something good about that, but it's missing uh, a really important ingredient. Um, like we talked last week about virtues. Like if you don't have God, can you really be virtuous? Or are you just looking like it? But your heart is not there. You can do a good deed, do a good thing that looks courageous or looks like it's, you know, serving other people, but really the source is not the Lord. Um, and the same applies to us, right? We're not immune from that because we trust in the Lord, because we have faith. We can do good things for the wrong reasons still. We can do things that look like courage, but in reality, the source is the wrong source. And we'll talk about that when, you, when we start talking about the vices associated with Courage. But first, I want to define courage a little bit more specifically. Um, Lewis will put it like this, as you can tell, I like C.S. Lewis on the virtues. Um, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at its testing point. I think that's really interesting. Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. Because what is God saying to Joshua? You're going to go into this land and you're going to conquer it, but you need to be courageous when you do it. Why? Because you're going to face adversity. Your faith is going to be tested. Your belief in my promises is going to be tested and tried when you see that it looks like my promises are not coming true. When it looks like God is, is is not there, like he's missing, like he has abandoned his people, or like his promises have just where are they? And the Psalms will do this all the time. Right? The Psalms will say, Lord, what happened? You promised that this would happen. Here's what actually happened. How do we believe in your promises when it looks like God is not fulfilling them? I think what God is saying to Joshua is you need to have courage because when your faith is tested, you need to still believe. You need to still trust me. And I think courage then is, as we see how gets um, associated, right, with reading the word, with meditating, with obeying, uh, that courage is persistence in doing what is right despite the adversity. It's, it's a persistence in serving the Lord and meditating on His law and doing the law despite pressures. Pressures to stop and quit. Pressures to do the wrong thing. Because we are going to be tested. Our faith is going to be tried. We are going to face problems and difficulties. And what is our response? It could be fear. Or it could be courage and persisting to do what is right, even when it looks like there's no gain, that we're not going to get anything from it. And I think that's where the world doesn't get it. Because even when a nonbeliever does something that looks courageous, it's still somehow self-serving. That there's still a sense of they want something out of it, either a self-satisfaction, Um, or they want the the, uh, approval of other people to say, wow, that was a really courageous thing. You're so amazing. Courage, however, that's not the point. The point is, are we doing what's right? Are we obeying the Lord? Even when there's no gain, or at least when it doesn't look like there's gain. And that's why the foundation for courage is not us. It's not our confidence in ourselves. It's not what we do. It's not the things that we accomplish. It's that the Lord your God is with you, even when it looks like he's not. And courage believes that and takes hold of that and applies that to every part of their lives. And this is why fear has no place. Because fear implies uncertainty. It implies doubt. It implies a risk of failure. No one wants to fail. None of us want to have our lives ruined because we made the wrong decision. We don't want to fail, and yet the Lord says, get rid of that fear. Because to be courageous is not to always have success. To be courageous is to trust me that my will will be accomplished. And all you have to do is trust. And we've already talked about this um, a little bit. But obviously, right, raise your hand if you've got this down. And if you do raise your hand, put it down, because you're lying. Because none of us are fearless. None of us can look at our lives and say, well, I wasn't afraid this week or today or this month or this year, like, All of us face fear all the time, and doubt, and anxiety. Like on Friday, Solo was throwing up literally all over the place, and I was afraid because I didn't know how to help him or what to do, and it was scary because it was the first time he'd ever been sick. And all the things, you know, you still think, well, he's going to be fine. Like, kids get sick. It's no big deal. And even you want to trust God, but it's still really scary. So we need to learn courage. We need to grow in courage. So how does this passage tell us what it looks like to grow in courage? And we've already, these are things that we've already mentioned. So we're just going to pull them together and collect them. How do we grow in courage? By reading God's word. By reading God's word. Absolutely. What else? It's a matter of having faith and trust in God. Yeah. The more you know how faithful God is, that He will take care of you even in the adverse times. That helps our courage to grow because we're trusting in Him more. Yeah, trust God. Read His Word. What else? John. yeah, we are, we're humans. We need, remind, we need history lessons. One of the reasons why we read his word is to keep seeing through scripture, God did it, God did it, God did it, God did it, God did it. like time and time and time again. That there's not a single promise that God did not fulfill. So why would he suddenly stop? Why is it so hard for our lives, right? To believe that, to believe that God is going to fulfill his promises to us if he's been faithful for generations. But it's still something we need to learn because we still get afraid and doubt and have our times where we don't believe that God's going to fulfill his promises to us.
1: You know what's interesting? There's a parallel passage in Deuteronomy 31. In Joshua 1, God is talking to Joshua. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses is saying, it's almost identical promises don't you he's talking to the whole of israel so it isn't like anybody
0: in the church you're not left out these promises are to everyone yeah what did god say to israel when they were in egypt i'm going to take you and i'm going to put you in the land that i swore to give to your fathers i'm going to do it um so you see on your outline, then the next thing is external courage and internal courage. I'm just going to blaze through it because we're running out of time. Uh, but basically, there's you can apply courage in two directions. You can do it externally, um, which means that when we face adversity from the outside, and we respond with courage. When we face persecution, we have to respond with courage. Um, that's probably the typical way we think of courage is, well, we're being persecuted. Um, people are... are Blaspheming the Lord and saying that you're nothing because you're a Christian. That's when we have courage. Um, but there's another way that we have courage. And that's more internal. It's courage against an internal pressure to cave, to not do what's right. And that's temptation. Right? There is uh, a, a temptations that we face that we have to be courageous against. Because there will be temptations to sin, to give up, to uh, be dismayed, to be depressed because of our own sin or because of our circumstances. Uh, so many ways that we are tempted uh, to not do what's right. And the Lord calls us still to be courageous against these things, against temptation, against sin in our own lives. Um, but then I want to I talk briefly about the vices associated with courage. Um, what do you think they are? What do you think, if courage is the virtue, what would you say are the vices? Pride. Pride, okay. What do you mean? Uh, you can become proud of
1: yourself and how courageous you are in the face of some adversity or a problem
0: that you face. Sure. So maybe we could say uh, a self-confidence. Yeah, that, that would definitely be a, a vice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cowardly, unbelieving, definitely. What else? There's a lot of vices out there. A lot of ways we can go wrong. No confidence in prayer. No confidence in prayer. Praying without any belief that God will answer. That shows a lack of courage. Uh, you, you could probably say fearfulness, anxiety or doubting, as maybe these are some vices. Um, we could also ask the question, is fear a vice? Maybe write that down on questions to, to take home. Is fear a vice, or is fear a symptom of a vice? Um, but I think there's, with most virtues, there's way, there are vices associated around it, but there are actually two ways that I think um, that are more subtle. There's the lack of and the excess of. Um, where we could say, take something like uh, timidity in prayer. Um, the idea of timidity as a lack of courage. That this is how we miss the mark, you know, to the left. Where we are now timid. We are not bold. We are easily swayed away from what is right because we just don't want to do anything. For whatever reason. Sometimes that's fear. Right? Sometimes it's because we're afraid to do what's right. Sometimes it's just because we've given up. We don't think we're going to have success. And so what's the point in trying? I'm just going to fail again. So why struggle against sin if I'm just going to stumble tomorrow? That is one of the ways that vice sneaks into our hearts and twists what is good and says, God doesn't actually care about you. He's not actually going to fulfill his promises to you. So why try? And that is not what the Lord wants. He doesn't want us to be the other way either, where we almost have a an excess of where we are indulging in this kind of weird courage um, that I'm. I think presumption is maybe a good word for it. Um, but another way we could think of it is triumphal triumph. Man, that's going to be hard to say. Triumphalist. Triumphalist. I'm not going to try. In this. In this. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably not a word. Um, maybe we could think of this as a sense where we, we presume that God is going to do for us whatever we try hard enough at. That we presume on God's grace. We presume that God is with us. Now, if we just try hard enough, God is going to give us what we want. And this can flow into a mindset where we believe that we are right that we're going we're gonna to be courageous and die on this hill because we know what's right and everybody else is wrong. Everybody else has it wrong except for me and I'm going to plant my flag on this hill because this is what's right and God wants me to be courageous. And wouldn't you know it, because everyone else is wrong, you've set yourself against everyone else. And you not only miss the point, but now you believe that you're being courageous when in reality you're just being stubborn. You're not actually believing in God, you're believing in yourself without realizing it and calling it courage. I think gung-ho, triumphalist, presumptuous, these are ways to describe that attitude where we actually err in this direction. Uh, But of course, when we look to the vices, uh, we also have to say... Well, who models perfect courage? And if not all of you start shouting Jesus at once, I'm going to be very disappointed. Jesus, right? It's the same with every virtue. Jesus is the one who models it perfectly for us, because Jesus faced more adversity than we can even understand. He even had to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and cry tears of blood. Because of the difficulty of what he had to do. But he did not back down. He did what was right. He was courageous and went to the cross. That is the kind of courage that we're called to imitate. That even when it seems like the Lord Himself is set against us, that we have to conform our minds. Submit them to the Lord, trust in His promises, and courageously try to do what's right and to seek to serve Him. We do that by meditating on His Word and praying and doing the law. But most of all, we do it by remembering that the Lord our God is with us. Even when it seems He's against us because everything in our lives is falling apart. Courage says, no, God is for me. And I cling to that because I know what Jesus did. And everything points to Jesus and his accomplishment on the cross. That is where courage comes from. So may he grow us in courage. May he put us, it's hard to say, may he put us through difficult situations so that we would learn to trust him. Because it's better to be, Uh, It's better to suffer and to have courage than to be comfortable and timid. That's who the Lord wants us to be. Are there any final thoughts or questions before we close in prayer? Okay. Uh, Why don't we pray and go before the Lord and uh, seek his grace? Almighty Father, we give thanks to you that you loved us when we were unlovable and that you continue to do so, Lord. We are ashamed to admit and confess that we are often timid and we are fearful that we do not do what's right because we don't want to fail or because we're afraid. And we also, Lord, plant our flags on tiny hills that don't matter. And we pretend that we're being courageous when in reality we are harming those around us. Lord, give us humility to admit these things. Give us the grace to learn courage, to learn how to trust you and cling to your promises. And may you teach us through your word that we may love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our might. For the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.